This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, December 19th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour with you. Solo show for me today, and that just gives me more one-on-one time with you. And your questions, your comments, that's what drives this show. And my job is to give you actionable investment data and perspective with developed with by over 20 plus years of an investment experience. Now we're gonna run down the market performance today as well as some show topics, but right after we answer our first caller question now. Hi Justin and team, thank you so much for all the help you guys do for us. I had a quick question. I've been looking at this talk for quite some time. It's Jason James, XS and X-Ray, and as Nancy. Uh, I would like to know an entry point Based on what I'm seeing, it looks like the entry point at 43. Not sure if I'm ever going to see that. Would like your analysis on JXN. Thank you so much. Happy holidays. All right. This is Jackson Financial. JXN is the symbol. And this name's been on quite the run in the summer, or call it late spring. It was trading in the high 20s. And now we're at $52 and change. So, Insurance companies have been doing better than the broad financial services sector, especially banks, and that's why we've kind of uh, liked that part of the market. <laughs> and Jackson Financial fits that uh, that part of the the financial services space. And what they do is they sell annuities, close life, uh, uh, sorry, uh, life insurance policies, institutional products, variable fixed annuities, etc. So it's annuities, it just sells annuities. And, you know, with the volatility of COVID, and more people worrying about the downside of markets, they tend to buy into annuities and, and they make great sales pitches. Um, and obviously, Jackson has done well from that. They were losing money in 2019, pre-pandemic and in 2020, but they made a bunch of money in 2021, $25 per share. But that has slowed from to $16.53 last year, $13.91 expected this year, and then a slight bump up next year. So nice 4.7% dividend yield as well. But the trajectory of the business is certainly slowing. And what's one thing I don't like is is it's very up and down. You know, they did make $21 per share in 2018 before losing money in 2019 and 2020. So uh, I don't like that lack of consistency. And this name is a recent IPO, an IPO back in uh, 2021. So, and, and ever basically ever since then, the financial numbers have, have weakened. Okay, so they took advantage of that high profitability in 2021, went public, and profitability has materially declined since then. So, you know, I don't love this. I don't love the annuity space either. Obviously, return equity here is only 10%, and that has come down pretty dramatically from 
its high last year uh, when it was all the way up to 81%. So, you know, I don't see this is very overbought. The technicals are obviously strong, and I think near term it can do fine. But this is not a business that I get excited about plowing money into while the fundamentals continue to deteriorate. So I'm passing on Jackson Financial. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes. Our main focus point set up by this headline. Could NVIDIA stocks suffer the same fate as Cisco? And I love this topic because it gives you a history lesson. And most people, most amateurs in the market, are were not around in 2000. I was. I was a young buck, but I was certainly around then. And I remember Cisco as one of the dominant technology stocks of its time. And the valuation that it eventually traded at was a great hindrance to future profitability as an equity holder. So we're going to look at that number, those numbers and compare that to today's darling, which would be NVIDIA. So I think that's going to be a very interesting uh, topic uh, that is going to involve artificial intelligence as well as whether investing in NVIDIA is right for you. In addition, or we have some other topics. One is in regards to higher interest rates, how that is impacting the way that professional investors are interacting with their clients, like ourselves. And I'm seeing this, but there's some new numbers on a recent survey that just shows you how higher rates are impacting the allocation of assets of clients, of, of top advisors. And then lastly, we're going to look at the climate deal, the COP28 conference, and what kind of pressure that's going to put on renewables and what the targets are. And the question is, is that even realistic? We're going to look at that. We also have some voice bank questions. One is on Roth 401ks versus a Roth IRA, and then MSM Direct, MSC Industrial uh, Direct, symbol is MSM. I have some iTunes review questions to get to. And now let's pivot over to the market performance for today. It was a decided, decidedly positive day overall. Small caps certainly led. They were all small, mid, blend, as well as growth were all up a 1.5% or more. Large cap growth certainly lagged the most. That was only up about half a percent there. So small caps were the big leaders. When it comes to sectors, basic materials had the best day up over 1%. I'm sorry, energy, 1.22% on the day for energy, 1.17% for materials. What else? Well, communication services, interesting enough, did well 1% today. Consumer cyclicals up a little less than 1% today. The weakest sector was technology, only up a third of 1% on the day. You had the dollar down a bit and you had gold up nicely. And you had the 10-year that did pull back about three basis points and close right near the lowest levels in five months, really since July. So very interesting to see that round trip in rates and obviously lower interest rates are helping asset prices right now. So that was the market today. We are still in the light volume float year end, last two weeks here. It's unlikely to get major declines in asset prices, modest pullbacks, you know, 
two three percent potential but uh, even then i think that's hard to do with the way the positioning is right now and the market structure uh, i think until we get to the next ox option x uh, week which will be the third week of january i think until and then you're going to get a generally general choppy bullish market and that's kind of uh, what to expect for the next month or so now as we head to a break Reminder of our holiday giveaway contest. We're offering a chance for a free autographed copy of Steve's book, Above Average Investing for the Average Investor. It's a no-nonsense beginner's guide to the world of buying and selling stocks. And there's some simple rules to enter. All you have to do is head over to our YouTube channel, subscribe to that, then go to our Instagram account, subscribe to that, like the giveaway post, the first one, it's uh, anchored there right at the top, and just tag three friends. That's all you have to do. We'll pick one winner each day until the end of the month. So we still have about 12 more winners to announce. My phone lines right now are waiting for you and your questions at 888-99-SHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Hi, Will. Hey, hi, Steve. How they get there. I'm wondering if now is a good time to be buying preferred stocks. And when they get there. Would this be an opportune time? That depends on many variables. To get into annuities. Everyone's situation is different. And as I listened, I'm trying to turn more into an investor rather than a speculator. And so are their questions. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. I'm calling about Peloton. P-G-O-N is a sticker. I'd appreciate your take on medical properties trust. Hey, I was trying to reach Justin, Lou, or Steve. Invest talk hosts Justin Klein. 15% of that capital to work in annuity and then look for opportunities to add more over time. Steve Peasley. Okay, so when you split, you'll still have about 5%. And my personal belief is you should just hold on to them. And now Luke Guerrero. Figure out a way to diversify away that risk. That's always going to be beneficial. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. All right, this is Boeing, a company that... Levered up its balance sheet to buy up tons of shares pre-pandemic. Each podcast is unique, and you set the agenda. Want to get your opinion on J.P. Morgan? Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. Eight 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 ninety nine Chart. Eight eight nine nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now let's talk a little bit about our main focus point, and that is: Is Nvidia going to be the next Cisco? And I always like to look at back multiple multiple decades to understand market history, because I love the saying, and I think it's very true: There's nothing new under the sun. And things are cyclical. Everything is cyclical. Even your life is cyclical. That's why we always say we have ups and downs in our life. That is the natural cycle of how, how things move. And markets move in the same way. And sentiment moves in the same way. Now, back in 2000, Cisco had very cutting-edge edge products just like NVIDIA does today. And Cisco went public in 1990. 
and it surged over a thousand percent, hitting a high of about eighty dollars per share in March of two thousand. But by March of tw- sorry, by October of two thousand two, it was trading at eight dollars and sixty cents per share, and even twenty years on, Cisco has yet to reach the same peak as the March two thousand level. Even though. Say over the last decade, it's returned about 11% per year, which is in line with the broader U.S. market. But what it goes to show you is that when you buy a company at such egregious valuations, even if the company stays around, does well, you know, I, I, I hate the, the old adage that the average person makes, which is this company is not going away. That is one of that. That is the first indication that the person has not done enough homework because that could be true. But that doesn't mean it's good investment. Just because the company's not going away does not mean it is a good investment. Cisco did not go away, but it was a terrible investment back in 2000. Now let's compare some numbers here. With NVIDIA riding the wave of artificial intelligence, obviously it has a dominant role in that technology. And the valuation of NVIDIA has gone from $32 billion in 2017 to $1.2 trillion today. That's 37 and a half times in just six years. Now, in early 2000, Cisco was, kinged the, uh, was, was crowned the king of the internet. It had great acumen for acquiring and integrating targets, helped diversify and complement its product offerings. So it had a fantastic reputation. And at that time, it, it reached a peak market value of $555 billion, surpassing Microsoft. Think about how many companies NVIDIA has surpassed. But the company was not immune to the downturn of the overall economy and the CapEx cycle. And this is big because these are both hardware companies. And when other companies stop, in, stop building out new infrastructure... To support the internet, Cisco's valuation dropped dramatically. And the question you have to ask yourself, is NVIDIA immune to that? And I would, I would say no. Now, according to FactSet, the average price target of NVIDIA right now, or analysts on NVIDIA, is $666 per share. Now, the stock is trading around $481. 400 and, let's see, 496 excuse me, right now. And it's currently trading at 22 times forward, 12-year forward enterprise value to sales ratios, compared to six times on average. Now, Cisco at its peak, its multiples did reach a little bit higher than that, 27 times in April of 2000, versus historically also at six times. So what it goes to show you is that this has happened before. And the end result is, as you would expect, when you pay such egregious multiples. Now, could NVIDIA buck the trend? But maybe, but the odds are very low. All right, we're heading into a quick break. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Stephen Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Stephen Justin welcome your questions. Call 
99 chart. Hey, good evening, guys. This is Craig outside Seattle. Got a question for you. I'm 52. Uh, I've got about 600K in a Roth 401K, about 100 grand in Roth IRAs. Anyway, uh, I'm at a point where uh, my Fidelity guy told me that I've got about 200 grand that I've done of in-plan conversions from pre-tax to Roth that I could, without penalty, move into a Roth IRA at this point. And then I'm thinking about the other 400 grand uh, moving into brokerage link rather than the mutual funds I have. But I'm wondering if there is any advantage, disadvantage, protection, or lack of protection, any reason to keep it in the 401k versus moving that part into the Roth IRA. I like to retire at 55, and I know there are provisions to be able to pull your 401k at 55 if you, uh, you know, retire from your company. So I'm tempted to leave it there. But I thought there may be some blind spots I have there or some benefits or deficiencies to moving it or not moving it benefits to the Roth IRA versus the Roth 401k. Uh, Appreciate any insight you can give. Thanks so much. All right. So the the main difference here, there are creditor protections, better creditor protections for 401ks versus IRAs. So that's only if you think there's maybe a chance of a bankruptcy for the vast majority of people, that's a very, very low probability. So I don't see that as a, a major consideration anyone should make. Especially if you have hundreds of thousands of dollars, you probably have a good job. You've been in it a while. You probably have other assets, et cetera. Then when it comes to taking money out, it, I believe 401ks, a Roth 401ks is still 59 and a half. So same for a, a Roth IRA, a one you can take the money out penalty free, uh, a, a growth of the money out penalty free, say that. Uh, so I would do it mainly because you're going to open yourself up to any investment that you want within that IRA as opposed to the 401k. I know you have the brokerage link window. That can be a challenge. Can There can be issues with that. Roth IRAs, super clean, super easy. You can move from one broker to another. If you don't like the broker that your brokerage link uses within your 401k, you can move it, you know, you, you, you know, you're, you're stuck with that within your 401k, whatever that brokerage link is. With a Roth IRA, you can move from one broker to another, no tax consequences, super easy, straightforward. So I think that about covers it. Uh, if you w- want to dig a little bit deeper, I encourage a portfolio review assessment. Uh, I think there's probably a little more information that I didn't get on that call that uh, would help me give you even uh, a more decisive answer. So I, I would encourage that portfolio review. Thanks for the call. Now let's talk a little bit about higher rates and how advisors, RAAs like us at KPP Financial, how we are talking to clients and how clients are talking to us as well. So give you some insight. And this is a survey from Inspirex. And they're a fixed income trading software. And they surveyed 384 RAs, financial advisors, in October. And 68% said that clients are moving some of their equity allocation into fixed income. 65% said they'd made the conversation with clients more positive. And 52% said higher rates made it easier to win new business. And I kind of agree with all of that. When I'm talking to clients, people are 
looking for opportunities to sell equities and get into fixed income. Also, people who don't have, they, they have cash on the sidelines. They've been fine with it for so long because the interest they could earn is next to nothing. Now they say, okay, I want to invest in bonds, for example, and earn 6 7%. Getting a lot of real estate investors, same thing, where real estate prices haven't come down to match the, the yields you're getting across the rest of the markets. Cap rates, especially here in California and in, in, in high cost areas, cap rates are still 4%. So a lot of them are saying sell real estate, go buy, right, sell real estate at a four cap and go buy bonds at a seven cap. Don't be a landlord anymore and earn higher yield. That's happening a lot as well. Now, 24% of advisors say they expect 10 year rates to hit 5% in the next 18 months. 31% expect that to hit 6%. And 10% said the rate will be between 7 and 9%. So I thought that was pretty interesting sentiment within advisors is that rates are going to go up. Obviously, this was in October. Rates have gone the opposite. So it just shows you uh, th there's some fading to be done when advisors think uh, all in one direction. They fixed, uh, NSPREX said fixed income sales reached 10-year highs across October and November. So that was interesting seeing uh, a lot of volume. And advisors surveyed said many investors misunderstood higher rates. And I would agree with that as well. A lot of Investors think that you can't lose money in fixed income. You absolutely can. Obviously, credit risk as well as duration risk as well. And bonds are really at the forefront of a lot of conversations. And what's interesting is what investors are most worried about. One is our geopolitical risks. And number two is a major pull, major stock market correction. And what's interesting is when stock market cor correction is very high on the list of worries, that's usually actually when you want to worry about it the least. So pretty interesting. And that's obviously the case over the past month or so. Now, in the next Invest Talk, we'll look into this question. Could a reverse mortgage make sense for you? That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers. Whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Every Invest Talk podcast is made better by your questions. So don't forget to call. And if you've never called, Justin and Steve are waiting now for your finance and investment questions. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. 
Hey, Steve and Justin and Luke. Adam here from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Had a question for you. Wanted to get your thoughts on AMKR and stock ticker ACMR, both semiconductor companies. AMKR is in the space of packaging, and then ACMR has some China exposure to it. So want to get your thoughts on it. Thank you for everything, and hope to hear back. Are right, looking at ACMR and AMKR, similar symbols and similar businesses. Now, ACM, ACMR is ACM Research, and they manufacture and sell single wafer wet cleaning equipment and products for the semiconductor industries. Growth is pretty solid, a small cap name, about $1.1 billion market cap. Let's see any debt on its balance sheet? No, not seeing any debt. So that's a positive. And it looks like it is out of California. So that's good. Let's go look at the profitability. I always like to start there. Return equity right now about 10.4%. And historically, it's been closer to the mid-teens. So I like that, that longer term, it has some upside to its profitability. Free cash flow right now is negative. That worries me just a bit. Why is that negative? And it's been negative really since 2020. And how are they financing that? If they have no debt, they have been issuing more and more shares. So I don't love that. I don't love uh, that capital allocation decision. i rather have a company that is, is not... Uh, it, diluting shareholders consistently. Yeah, they have growth, but obviously that growth is being, once again, uh, diluted. So the technicals are fine. I see nothing. Uh, I've seen, I see no problems on the chart there. Now let's take a look uh, at AM, or a, is AMKR? AMKR. There we go. AMKR. That is Amcor. This is much bigger, $8.3 billion market cap at a 52-week high. And they are in a similar space. Let me just pull that up here. They outsourced, uh, they provide a outsourced semiconductor packaging and test services to integrate integrated device managers. I like this type of business. Their profitability historically is similar to that first one, uh, but they've been around a lot longer and I like the ones that have uh, some sustainability uh, to their business. Plus, their cash flow is positive, and that's why this is at a 52-week high versus the other one is not. And so I'm going to go with the relative strength here and go with AMKR if I'm going to buy one over the other. Now, it's a bit overbought here. I'd rather buy this if it pulls back into high 20s. Now, it's at 33.79 to close today. So if I'm... Picking one, I'm picking Amcor, A-M-K-R. Now, whenever possible, I like to play two in a row from the InvestDoc Voice Bank. So let's do that right now. Yeah, hi, this is Mike from Utah. I was just calling to get your opinion. I've got a stock market account with about 25K in it and two CDs with about 10,000 in them. I was wondering, I want to buy a house in the next 12 to 18 months. And I was thinking about taking all my gains out of the stock market and putting them into those CDs. So they'll for sure gain over the next 12 to 18 months, which they have already in the past. A good 30% I'm up, but 
I'm thinking in 12 to 18 months, they could be falling out again. And I'm hoping by the time that CD matures, the housing market will be a little calmer and I can get a better interest rate and a better price on a house. So just want your opinion on if that's a good strategy to go, because I don't want to lose any of that value in the stock market 12 to 18 months from now, where a CD, it'll, it'll hold that 5%. It's a 5.5% CD right now for 12 months. So just wanted your opinion. I'd look forward to hearing on the show. Thank you. Well, I like the way you're thinking and you're focusing on your time horizon. And it is something that most people aren't thinking about is the different buckets that they have. When are they going to need this capital? Is it within the next two years? And that's what you're talking about, buying a house in the next two years. And that is typically a time where you want to get that bucket of money into something that is safer and more liquid. Obviously, equities are liquid, but it's also not safe. And you're right, 18 months from now, could be down from where we are today. That's certainly possible. And so with this surge in assets and in, 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 in equities, it's probably a good idea to be selling into this and moving those into CDs if you're looking to buy a house in the next uh, 18 to 24 months. So I agree with you, focusing on that time frame and that uh, and buying a home and getting into something safer makes a lot of sense. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, I'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to the questions quickly. Rod Johnson says, hey, Justin, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on CF Industries. I think it might be a near-term buying opportunity for a long-term hold. And this is a name that we own for clients. And what they do is they manufacture nitrogen fertilizers. And this is a name that has benefited greatly from the war in Ukraine. Why? Because of the arbitrage of natural gas prices here in the US and overseas. So we have very cheap natural gas prices domestically. And you're going to say, well, what does that have to do with fertilizers? Well, about half of the cost of the input of, of artificial fertilizers that CF Industries produces is natural gas part of the manufacturing process. And then they take that and they send that to areas overseas that need that fertilizer. And if you're in Europe, the cost of that fertilizer nearby is probably pretty expensive because the cost of natural gas is much higher. So it's a it's kind of in its own way a LNG type of business. Most of what they're exporting is natural gas. So I like we like this name. Uh, the it has pulled back recently with the energy space as a whole, but the te technicals are firming up and the fundamentals are solid. So uh, I'm going to give CF Industries a thumbs up. Now let's go ahead and answer another iTunes view question. JDC Auburn in Beirut says, "I bought both Adidas and Nike near the bottom over a year ago." And I am much up much more on Adidas, but feel now is a good time to consolidate or eliminate. So Adidas or Nike, which is a better buy? Well, Nike is having, I think, a, is having some issues with innovation, become more of a fashion company. And I mean, I could say that about Adidas as well. So uh, I'm not going to say Adidas is a whole lot better. I wouldn't say they're innovating any better than, than Nike is. Both of them have been heavy, heavily reliant on the 
the brand history. Think of how many Jordans that Nike sells and Air Force Ones and even Blazers, you know, that were made that were popular in the 70s. So is Nike innovating for the athlete, for example? Is Adidas innovating for the athlete? I would say neither are probably doing a great job at that. So you you have to say, okay, which one has staying power as a fashion brand? And I think Nike is probably a bit better, to be honest with you. And if I'm going to consolidate, it's probably going to be into uh, Nike. Nike has a strong balance sheet, no debt. So I like that. Adidas does have a little bit of debt, nothing too dramatic. Price to book is 7.2 times. Nike's a bit more expensive than that, but their profitability is a lot better. 34% return on equity on Nike versus Adidas right now is negative. And their free cash flow is negative. So yeah, if I'm going to buy one, I'm going to hold one, it's going to be Nike. Now the fourth quarter is rapidly drawing to a close and Christmas is just six days away. It's kind of freaking me out because I'm not done with my shopping. So uh, I, I need to get that done. But what you need to do is understand your portfolio strategy. Is it aligned with what's happening in the market right now? Have you greatly benefited from this recent surge in asset prices? Are you doing better than the broad in indices or worse? Are you set up for this new geopolitical regime, inflationary regime, higher interest rate regime that we are now in. If you're not sure, you probably benefit from a portfolio review by me, which we can do via telephone or go to meeting. And in order to set up that free portfolio review assessment, all you have to do is send us a message through investtalk.com, click on the portfolio review button in the type top right hand portion of the screen. Now this invest talk, hang on, we're going to answer more questions next. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Applying for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. Everyone's situation is different. I'm to get your opinion on JP Morgan. And so are their questions. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I'm wondering if now... 24-7, rain or shine, InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. 888-99-CHART. Good evening, Justin, Steve, or Luke. This is Franz from New York, and today I'm calling about MSC Industrial Direct Co. Ticker symbol, MSM. I own this company and opened a small position in the low 80s, and I've been looking to increase my position after exiting my Meta and Google positions. I believe it's a great business, and according to Morningstar, it's in a fair value range, but I remain hesitant. Based on your opinion, would you recommend increasing my position at these levels or wait for the potential volatility? in the coming year for better opportunities. Thank you, and I'll be listening on a podcast. Well, we like MSC Industrials, MSM, and you're right. They do have a, a great business. It's one of the largest industrial distributors focused on metalworking and maintenance, repair, and operation products and services. And we've owned this many times throughout the years. Return equity, 24% currently. 
five-year average is 21%. So anything above high teens or above is a very quality business. And they have a sound balance sheet, very minimal debt, free cash flow, 607 million on a market cap of under 6 billion. So a 10% plus free cash flow yield, dividend yield of only 3%. The technicals are fine. Uh, I would give I, I would just buy it. I wouldn't really mess around to get too cute. Could you have a broader pullback in the first half of next year that gives you a better buying opportunity potentially? Obviously, most things, 99% of stocks have run decently over the past month and are somewhat too majorly overbought. So could you wait? Sure, but and, and, but that would be probably towards the back half of the first quarter, and you don't know where the market corrects from or where this name corrects from. It could rally from about $101 per share where it closes today all the way to 115 in the next month and then pull back into the 105 range, and now that's higher than where it is today. It's hard to know exactly, but you know I wouldn't mess around too much, and I would uh, be looking to pick this up sooner rather than later. Thanks for the call. Now let's talk about the COP28 conference. And this got a lot of headlines with more than 190 governments reaching an agreement, calling for a transition away from fossil fuels and massive expansion of renewable energy. And the text basically agrees that fossil fuels need to be phased out. Now they don't say to phase it out directly, but more indirectly by growing renewables, tripling wind, solar, and the like by 2030. And this would require wholesale changes to the way countries operate. And they're going up against major challenges that are already currently hampering growth of renewables right now. For example, grid grid connection delays, higher financing costs, fight over land, shortage of trained workers within the space, as well as political opposition. Now remember, these commitments are not binding. This is just saying hopes and dreams. And it's a daunting task. It requires adding about one terabyte, or sorry, terawatt, of renewable energy annually with 11 terawatts of capacity by 2030. Now in 2022, last year, only 292 gigawatts of renewable capacity was added. So you need to triple this each year over the next six years. And the simple answer is, it's not going to happen, at least to not, not to that degree. And a big part of that is funding, because it's not just about the developed countries, which there's a lot of capital in order to finance this stuff. But what about developing countries? They don't have the balance sheet capacity to invest like we do. And there's a shortage of electricians, for example. The global skills gap is on course to widen from roughly 1.7 million workers within the space to 7 million by 2030. That's according to the Boston Consulting Group. So there's a lot, already cha- major challenges within the space. And 
to kind of to, to force a tripling of that development is just simply not going to happen. I think this is way more hopes and dreams than anything that is reality. Could we push? Sure, but there's way too many bottlenecks that uh, is going to prevent this from truly happening. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here each and every weekday, and that's help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your calls in now at 888 chart Today, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hi, Steve, Luke, and Justin. It's Alex here from the UK. I thought I would bring up three small to mid-cap stocks. Um, you might be able to comment on all three or just a particular one if you um, think some are better than others. So I have EME, which is MCOR Group, uh, FIX, F-I-X, which is Comfort Systems USA, and Elf Beauty, E-L-F, ticker. I'd just like your opinion on any of these stocks. All are now getting towards their 52-week uh, highs with the recent push towards the uh, value small cap stocks. Um, I look forward to your views on the show and uh, look forward to listening to you after the new year and into 2024. Thanks a lot and have a great Christmas. Well, thank you for the kind words. And you're looking at three different companies. And definitely the third one is like comparing apples to oranges. EME and FIX are somewhat similar, but ELF is... While it's also a small cap, it's a very different business. You're talking about in the beauty industry and what I've learned from the beauty industry. And if you know anyone that's deep into it, uh, you know any females in the, that's deep into this space, you know it's very faddish. It goes from one fad to another. Elf might be hot now, but two, three years from now, probably won't be. And right now, you're just trading at 11 times price to sales, enterprise value to EBITDA, it's 51 times. Yes, it's growing, but I'm not paying these multiples. It's ran way too far, way too fast. Easy one to throw out first. Now, the other two are fixed comfort systems in the HVAC area, and then MCOR, which is focused on or is one of the largest electrical, mechanical, construction, and facility service firms in the United States. So also similar in the HVAC space, but more in the in the big picture, right? Uh, building, helping build large facilities that bring electricity and, and other services to to uh, companies and and uh, consumers. So. MCOR is a bit bigger, $10 billion market cap, and FIX is, what's FIX at? 7.4. So similar size. Now, both have very limited debt on their balance sheet, so I like that. And let me look at the consistency of their profitability, because both current profitability is right around 26%. But longer term... MCOR, this is kind of the top end of its range, the highest it's really ever been. And you could say, hey, I want to play the spending of government to improve our infrastructure. That could be one play. But comfort systems just can be more consistent. 
And I like the consistency of that business and its growth is better. So if I'm going to pick one or the others, I like both MCOR and comfort systems, but if I'm picking one, it's going to be fix. Now we're almost out of time, but let's fit in one more question. Hello, Invest Talk. I love your show. This is Enrique from San Diego. My question is PBA, Pembina Pipeline Corporation. I'm looking to pick some up. I would love to hear your feedback. Thank you very much. We're looking at Pembina Pipeline Corporation. It's out of Canada and it operates pipelines and gas, ga gas gathering as well as assets across fractionation, storage, and propane exports. Uh, do I like it? It's okay. I don't like the amount of debt it has on its balance sheet. It's a little bit too high for me, about $8 billion, $9 million, sorry, $9 billion net debt on an $18 billion market cap. That's a bit too high. Its payout ratio is 130%. That's too high for me as well, so I don't love that, that dividend. Its free, free cash flow is solid, $1.6 billion, so that's good. So it's, it's, a, it's a cash flow monster, shall we say. Uh, and most of that goes out the door uh, in, in dividends and in CapEx. So, um, you know, I don't hate it. We own others within the space and, that we like better. So I think you can just find better opportunities within this space. But I don't hate it. I like the pipeline companies. I think demand for their services and their pipes are going to stay strong for longer than most people want to admit. Uh, and so uh, I, I like it, but I like others in the space better. I'm Justin Klein. This is another Invest Talk program. Stephen, I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And make sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And enter our holiday giveaway contest to, in, to receive a free autographed copy of Steve's investing book. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.